Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's really, really good to see you all here. And uh, hey, next week we're beginning our brand new series called Investigating Jesus. And in this series, what we're going to be looking at is uh, if, if you know somebody who maybe is on the when it comes to their faith, or maybe you're struggling with a lot of doubts, we're going to walk through the book of Luke and we're going to investigate Jesus and we're going to discover who he is and why we follow him. And so if you know of someone, it's a great series to invite someone, maybe outside of faith or wrestling with faith, we kick that off next Sunday. But today, I am so excited about what we are doing because I think it's an important day in the life of our church. In fact, it's a day that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. And if you're new, And maybe church isn't something you normally attend and you're just sort of walking in today, checking things out. I'm really glad that you're here because we're going to talk about a problem in our culture that is bigger than church. This is a problem whether you attend church or not. And I just want you to know that as a church, LifePoint, we want to try and take a step toward being part of helping people with what is becoming one of the biggest challenges in our culture. And so to kind of kick us off today, I want to set the stage by quoting our U.S. Surgeon General who in May said, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation that we are currently experiencing has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Right now, we are in what I would agree with, what the Surgeon General says, we are in an epidemic of loneliness. And that is certainly true uh, as, as a world, but really even in our nation, Gallup Poe came out with a poll that's, that declared that Americans are among the most lonely people in the world, and you say, well, wait, we've never been more connected, and that is true. What's interesting is, as psychotherapists are discovering that we are lonely, but we mask it as hyperconnectivity. Here in Collin County, I believe it's one of the biggest challenges that we have. As we are busy, we're growing, we're crowded, we're in traffic jams, we're enjoying the busyness of all these shops and restaurants, and yet we are alone together. There is an epidemic of loneliness that all of us either are experiencing or love someone who is. It is a challenge. It is a problem. And frankly, it's not hard to figure out how we got here. Think about it. As a culture, we were taught from a very young age, and and all of us grew up with this kind of mantra. We were taught from a very young age that what maturity looks like and what maturity, uh, what success ultimately is. Culturally, we were taught that maturity is this, that when you move from dependence to independence, that you have succeeded, that you have matured, and that is the goal, that is the win, if we can just move from dependence to independence, that's kind of the way we would summarize it, look, Ginger and I, my wife and I, we have four kids, and when they were little, we were so excited when they were able to get their own sippy cup, it felt like, yeah, independence, like, that's a win, like, when they could go and and, and, and get dressed on their own, right, when, when they could finally do all these things, like, we felt like that was a win, and culture, we've been taught this from a young age, it's success when you get from dependence to independence or another way we say it is when you can do things and get on your own that is success that is maturity that is what it looks like to be a productive adult in our 
culture. We're all pursuing this thing called independence. It's like when you can stand on your own two feet, when you can move out on your own, when you can begin to make decisions on your own, when you can branch out from that big company and start your own company, when you can be your own boss, when you can become fully independent, that is success. That is the... The mark of maturity. We as a culture, we value this so much. This idea of independence. And here's the question I want us to start off with today. What is the cost of independence? Because we all celebrate the benefits of independence, but we rarely talk about the cost of being on your own. What does it cost us individually, and what does it cost us culturally to be on our own? And so today what we're going to do to help us kind of kick this off is we're going to look at a story of a man who lived 3,000 years ago. He was a king of a nation. His name is David. And we're going to look at his story because guess what? David pursued independence and he achieved it. But it came with a cost. And it turns out it's the same cost that we're experiencing today. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll follow along. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses on the screen. There's a Bible there in your pew. If you want to grab it, you can just look up 2 Samuel on the table of contents. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 today. And we're going to begin at the very beginning of this incredible story of David. A man pursuing this wonderful ideal, independence. And it begins in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. He didn't go. He sent Joab. Why did he do that? And remember, David up until now has been a very successful person going from being a shepherd to being a king. And now he's not only a king, he's brought peace to the nation. He's considered very successful and powerful. He has the privilege of now sending someone instead of being the warrior who leads the fight. So David sent Joab out with the king's men. So these are his trusted advisors. He sends them out and the whole Israelite army. And they were victorious. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But, but, say these last four words out loud with me, David remained in Jerusalem. Now you gotta, you got to help me out here. That way I know the, the, the heat isn't putting you to sleep. All right, Say those last four words out loud with me. Say it with me. David remained in Jerusalem. This is such a big deal. Because at this point, David is super successful, super powerful, considered wealthy, and David begins to put himself above the needs of the community. Because he has the right to do this. And this is where success blinds us sometimes, is we not only are tempted to do this, but we have the ability or the power to do this. And that's where David finds himself, putting himself above the needs of the community. Independence tends tends to blind us of our faults. And watch this happen in David's life. Look at verse 2. David, who everybody else is out risking their life and fighting a war, one evening David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. So he's living pretty good, right? Like he's in the king's palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful And David didn't go, he sent someone because he sees people as a commodity. He's putting himself above the needs of the community to simply find out about her. So the man who he sent came back and said, here's who she is. Her name is Bathsheba 
And she is someone's daughter, Eliam. And she is someone's wife, Uriah the Hittite. Hearing that, David, remember, putting his own needs above the needs of the community, hears a man say, and by the way, she's married to a man who's fighting for you, sleeping out in tents while you're sleeping in your palace. Like he's giving him all the information, but a little bit more. And David, because he continues to see himself above the needs of the community, look at verse 4. Look how he responds. So David, again, didn't go, but he sends messengers to get her. And she came to him, and he slept with her. And now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word back to David saying, I am pregnant. Meanwhile, none of David's trusted men are anywhere around. They're all out fighting a war, sleeping in tents, sleeping in the open country, while David is there making foolish decisions, and no one is there to speak up and say, David, this is a bad decision. You're putting yourself above the community. David, the emperor has no clothes, right? Like, there's no one there to make that obvious claim to him. Instead, he's enjoying independence, and along with independence comes some extreme foolishness that he doesn't even see. And unfortunately, he has the power to try and cover his own tracks because he realizes he's messed up. So he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, from the front lines and invites him back, just to summarize these next few verses. And Uriah comes back, and David sends Uriah to go and stay with at home with his wife, hoping then Uriah would think he's the father of the child. But Uriah refuses, and look why. Look down at verse 11. Uriah said to David, Listen, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab, used to be you leading the battle, but now Joab's leading the battle, and my Lord's men, your trusted men, are camped out in the open country. How could I go to my house? How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live? I will not do such a thing. By the way, if you ever think the Bible is boring, wow, you read this story and you go, oh, okay. The Hallmark Channel has nothing on the Bible, right? I try to read these as fast as I can sometimes. So David is putting himself above the needs of the community. Meanwhile, we see Uriah doing the opposite, putting the community above his own needs, saying, how could I? I would never. We'll come back to this story in a minute. But you would think that David sees the courage and the integrity of a man like Uriah, and you would think David would go, oh, what am I thinking? And he would kind of wake up and realize how selfish he's been. But no, instead, David does the opposite. David has Uriah killed, and he goes and marries Bathsheba. And before you think, because this is easy to think, oh, here we go again, another rich, wealthy guy who does what he wants and gets away with it, and there are no consequences. Instead, oh, there are consequences, because David is the one who ends up marrying Bathsheba, but this child dies. 
And he's the one whose family will end up being splintered and his uh, uh, a reputation would forever change and this colossal failure would be on his record so that 3,000 years later you can never mention his name without this rising to the top as part of who he is. This would have consequences and they would be far-reaching consequences that would impact not only him but all the people around David. It turns out the real failure was that David saw himself above the community. And as you and I in 2023 live in an epidemic of loneliness, our desire for independence, that same desire that you and I have, it is fueling us down the road to failure. It is fueling us not only down the road to loneliness, but it's fueling us down the road to foolishness. Because we miss out on the wisdom that we can bring to each other. And it turns out, let's be really honest, true independence is kind of a myth anyway, isn't it? Like we think we can be independent, but let's be honest. Think about what it is that you want to be independent in. Like if you get a home and you think, oh, I finally arrived, I've got the nice home, or I've got a home of my own. The value of your home changes and you have little to do with it. Like you can maintain your home, but the reality is you can't control the neighborhood. You can't control the businesses that come and go. We're all kind of dependent on a lot of other factors, aren't we? Or how about your commute to work? You can't control traffic, right? It's going to be what it's going to be. You can't even control your 401k or your investment. You don't know what the stock market inflation rates or interest rates are going to do. You can't control even the health of your marriage or how your kids turn out. You can't completely control. The truth is we are completely dependent on each other. And true independence is a myth. And you and I cannot live our best life through independence. In fact, I want to give a warning. And this will sound a little hurtful, but you'll understand when I say it. Here's why you can't live your best life in independence. Because just like David... There are a lot of things wrong with you. Would you just say that out loud with me? There are a lot of things wrong with you. Now you're looking at me and you're enjoying saying it to me. Now I want you to say it to your neighbor. No, I'm kidding. There are a lot of things wrong with me. There are a lot of things wrong with you. That's what it means to be human, right? David is no exception. It's not like, oh, he's that guy that had problems. We all have problems. David was blind to his weak spots, just like I'm blind to mine. And that's why I have to. Independence leaves me blind. It leaves me foolish. It's one of the reasons that we're better together instead of independence. See, we were never intended as Jesus followers to live independently. That's never been the goal of a Jesus follower. In fact, throughout the New Testament, there's this one word in the original language that is repeated 100 times when referring to early first century Christians. I'm thinking if a word is repeated to describe the behavior of first century Christians 100 times, it must be important. And this word is alelon. Alelon simply means in English, one another. It's this idea of mutually reciprocal one another life. It's alelon. This is the way the early Christians were described. They continually lived with one another. They did life with one another. It's when we look at Acts 2 and we see them praying together and eating together and worshiping together and opening the word of God together, sharing their 
possessions with each other. All throughout the New Testament, you see these one another's over and over again where they loved one another, where they submitted to one another, where they encouraged one another, where they carried one another, where they bared the hardness with one another, where they forgave one another. They were constantly doing life with one another. They were doing life all alone. They were doing it together. It's the way we were designed. It's the way our faith was founded on those who follow Jesus doing life together. And marriage is one thing, but we were designed to have a tribe that we could do life one with another. So we come back to where we find ourselves today in the 21st century and we have this epidemic of loneliness because we've gotten away from the way the first century church was designed to behave, doing life with one another. And I think it's because we have the wrong definition of what maturity really is, of what it means to be successful, instead of the cultural definition, which is from dependence to independence. And by the way, I'm all for independence. You don't want the 30-year-old living in the basement right we want to see some independence but we don't want that to be the definition because I don't want my kids growing up to be lonely foolish people at age 50 either this isn't enough to just be independent biblical maturity biblical success biblical thriving what does it mean to follow Jesus it's dependence to independence to interdependence it's where I'm not fully leaning on you you're not fully leaning on me but we are leaning on each other we have moved from independence to recognizing oh I'm better with you you're better with me we do life all alone with one another and we are better because we're doing life together because we are interdependent on each other and as a church this is such a huge value of who we are and how we want to move forward as a church and so we often say what our mission is and our mission is in four words can you say it with me it starts with the word share say it with me share Jesus and build believers this is the great commission most evangelical churches they'll word it in different ways but this is the idea that we all share we want to make disciples by sharing Jesus and building believers but what is the unique way in which we want to do that And that is where LifePoint, we want to share our vision where we say, okay, this is the Great Commission Highway, but our vision, the lane we're going to run in, is we want to be a place where anyone belongs before they believe, where anyone can belong before they believe. Now, the key to that vision is the word belong. And I would just insert the word alelong. Alelong. That is what it is. It's to love one another. It is to know and to be known. It is taking the relationship to the point where someone knows your struggles and you know theirs and you stand with one another. You are better together. It addresses loneliness. That's why the Surgeon General of all people says, our relationships are a source of healing and well-being, hiding in plain sight. We are both, it's such a paradox, only God. We hurt each other, but somehow we heal each other and we need each other. This is the way we have been designed to live. By the way, just real quick on this vision is why I, I really believe there's so much to this idea of belonging or community or all alone is that we, we not only want to be a place where anyone can belong, meaning we don't just want people to attend here, we want people to belong here. We want to move beyond just attendance. And yet we also, so that addresses loneliness, but we take it a step further and we say, a place where anyone can belong before they believe because historically what we recognize is people go and they cross the line of faith when they have more friends who believe and are following Jesus than they have friends who aren't. 
In other words, if you get into a group and belong with a bunch of Jesus followers, you are more likely to become a Jesus follower. So it's not only a place where you can belong, but we also invite people to belong before they believe because we believe that belonging bridges to believe and eventually belonging bridges to building believers. And this is the sense in which this is the vision, this is the lane. We want to be a community of alelon, a community where people belong with one another and that means interdependent. So as a church, we want to move people in this great crisis of loneliness, which is absolutely present in our county. We want to be part of the solution in helping with that. By the way, that's why two weeks ago we hosted a block party. And we did it in lieu of a Sunday worship service. And so we had some fun. We had some baptisms. And we had a real opportunity for people to connect and it would be easy to think, and by the way, I just want to say to you, church, thank you for your openness to these kinds of things that might be a little bit outside of the box. I've heard so much great feedback from you. But it would be easy to think, well, that wasn't a real service because we didn't open the Word of God and we didn't have you know, the worship like we normally have. So you know, it was sort of a substitute for the real thing. But first century Christians would believe that it is just as sacred to connect and all alone, to live with one another as it is to open the word of God, as it is to corporately sing, that we were designed to connect beyond just sit shoulder to shoulder. We were designed to be in circles with one another. And at LifePoint, we want to have an outrageously high value of belonging. And so I'm so grateful to be uh, part of this community. So today, we want to invite you. It's a big deal to take a step toward a group, to take a step toward a community group. Now, you may be wondering, okay, but what can I expect at a community group? Let's be real. I already come to church, or I come to church every so often. What can a group give me that that I'm not already experiencing here? And I'm so glad that you asked that great question. So I believe there are four types of relationships, and this is so key. There's a public relationship. There's a social relationship there is a personal relationship, and there is an intimate relationship. And when you look at a public relationship, this is the idea that, yes, we both like the Cowboys, even though they're 0-2 in the preseason. We're, we're Americans, and we go, okay, we have a public identity where we say, yes, I am that too. I am on that social media platform too. We publicly have a relationship. And by the way, that's the relationship that's growing the most in our culture. But it's the most, uh, it's the least fulfilling. I, I believe just like our lungs are made for air, our soul is made for connectivity with other humans. And the public does not satisfy. It is only the gateway to something that's more real. And then we go to social relationships. And this is a relationship where people, maybe they live in your neighborhood, maybe your kids go to their school, maybe you're from that place, you know. And, and, and now this, let's get real honest, this is my church This is where we sit together. I see you in the lobby. I see you when you drop off the kids. I interact with five minutes before and or five minutes after. We have an opportunity. I know your name. You know my name. But we probably don't see each other outside of the Sunday experience. And so there's a sense of social connection just like you would with a neighbor. Just like you would with somebody who goes to your school. Just like you would with somebody who who goes to your gym. Like there's a social connection to that. That is valuable. But it is not all alone. This begins the next relationship. And this is a personal relationship. This is where there's a true friend. I see you outside of. I make time just for you to have coffee. Just for you to have lunch. Just for you and I to connect. This means I probably have your contact in my cell phone. 
at this level, this personal relationship. This is where I began to enter into the beginning stages of what it means to do life with one another. And then there is the intimate. This is, could be my spouse, but it also could be that person that you'll call at 2 a.m. when life just completely falls apart. And most of us will not have many people at this level. We wouldn't be able to handle many people at this level. Now, on a Sunday worship service, the best we can do is move people to the social category where we connect, we worship together, we open God's word together, and we begin to have other people who are going the same direction we are, and that is so encouraging and necessary. But it is not first century all alone. This is where we move to the next level of personal relationships. And in groups, we can find this. Now, what I also want to say, though, is we aren't promising in groups that you will have that best friend forever intimate relationship. But we do see groups most often lead to personal relationship, that next level of belonging that we were created to thrive in. And that's why community is so important beyond the Sunday. And I will just say this. When somebody says, hey, Pastor Mark, I visited your church last Sunday, I always think, I never say, no, you didn't. You visited our worship service. Our church meets in houses in circles in groups, and that's where you find belonging. That's where people will know you and support you and walk with you through the difficulties of life. In fact, Michael, I didn't get permission to share this, but I was talking with Michael just a while ago, right before the service, and he was telling me uh, he and Matt and, and their wives have been in a group for, I think, nearly 10 years or so, and he was just, I said, what's the biggest benefit? You know what Michael said? Michael said, man, we just are real with each other, and we talk about our struggles openly with each other, and we're able to walk through life together. Now they they, they they, they even do vacations together, but it didn't start off that way. It started with going from a social relationship to a public relationship, but they are experiencing that all alone. That's what we want for everybody, to find that place of community. Now, back to David's story as we end. Let's see how it finishes because there's a lot we can learn, even from his mistake. If you move forward in the story to chapter 12 of Second Samuel, verse 1, we see that the Lord sent Nathan to David. So Nathan's a prophet. By the way, you want to find your Nathan, you don't want the Lord to send you a Nathan. Like that's never going to go good. And we're about to see this isn't about to go good. So over the next few verses, I'll just summarize. Basically, there's a rich man and a poor man. Nathan's telling a story. He's making up a story to make a point to David. And he goes, hey, David, there's, let me tell you a story. There's this rich man and there's this poor man. And basically, the rich man takes advantage of the poor man by selling some of the poor man's stuff to impress a total stranger, a traveler. And David, who's putting his needs above the community, goes, oh, I can't believe somebody would do that. And David is all of a sudden burdened by his own anger and says, that man ought to have his life end. And I can picture Nathan in verse 7 pointing his bony finger at Nathan, and he says, or Nathan at David, and Nathan says to David, you are that man. You are the, and David must think, whoa, 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 I'm not, I'm the king. I am a self-made man. I am independent. Look, I was a shepherd. Look how I climbed the corporate ladder. I became 
the most powerful person. I'm like CEO of the nation. I'm very wealthy. I've clearly made, uh, I've got this power. I have literally pulled myself up by the bootstraps or the sandal straps, and I am now the man. Like, what are you talking about? And in all his bragging of what he has accomplished, how hard he has worked, how much he sacrificed, how smart he is, God responds to him through Nathan, and watch what he says. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, to you, Mr. Powerful, Mr. Independent. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave you that palace, your master's house, to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and I am so in love with you and want to be so generous with you that if this had been too little, I would have given you more. But David, your lack of gratitude and your pursuit of independence has caused your heart to turn and to put yourself above the community. You've become so ungrateful. In verse 9, he is asked, watch this, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in the Lord's eyes? Why did you do it, David? Why did you go down this road, David? And you and I have the benefit 3,000 years later of we know the answer to this question. Because we can look back at the very beginning of the story, at the very first verse we read, and we see this question answered. Here's why. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to the war, David sent Joab. He sent him out with the king's men, there goes his trusted advisors, to fight the whole Israelite army. But, and say these four words one more time with me, David remained in Jerusalem. That's why. And that's how independence goes. You see, I think we would all agree that this cost David a lot to be independent. After all, there was adultery, there was a murder, there was a death of a child, there was a colossal failure. All the cost of his independence. I think we would all agree that for David, doing life on your own didn't make you strong, it made you stupid, right? In the same way for us, we have a blind spot when we do life on our own. We become foolish. In fact, what is the cost of independence? I believe we're experiencing it in our culture Loneliness and foolishness. Because there isn't someone else to call us on our lack of wisdom that we all need in our lives. It turns out it's really costly to pursue this thing we're all pursuing, independence. Now, you say, yeah, but interdependence that you claim is the biblical maturity, like that's got to be costly too, and it is. To pursue interdependence is very inconvenient. It is very uncomfortable. It requires us to change and to sacrifice and in some cases to submit to the calendar or quirkiness or the, the, the opinions of other people. But I would say the cost of interdependence is preferred to the cost of independence. At the end of the day, you were not designed to do life on your own. You were designed for all alone. And we want to be a church and we want to be a headquarter for belonging, a place where you can belong. So that's why I'm so excited. You've got to celebrate this with me today. A lot of work of a lot of people. Today, we are opening 20 
life groups. Now that's something to celebrate, amen? That is something that's worth celebrating. Would you just celebrate that with me today? And I want to say real quick that I am so grateful for our new group's director, Christine Hayek, who's worked so hard the last few months to make this happen. Yeah, we can say thank you to her. And thank you to all of you who are group leaders who've stepped up. Many of you who are doing it for the very first time and your heart's racing a little bit right now because this is your first time to kind of step out and take the step. We want to say way to go. Thank you. This is what we were created to do. Thank you for taking the step with us. In fact, we're more than doubling. I think we had 11 or 12 life groups and now we're going to have well over 30 because of so many of you taking that step. We want to help be part of the challenge in our culture. Now, What is a life group? If you're new and you're wondering, it's about 10 to 14 people who will meet a couple of times a month. What do they do? Well, they do life together, just community, getting to know each other. They open the Bible or a book about the Bible. They study and then they pray together. That's all that we're going to do a couple of times a month. Beginning in September, going through the fall, probably going to meet about six to eight times. And this would be the commitment that you would make should you decide to put your name on a piece of paper today and jump in today or or in the next couple of weeks. So different stages of life. We're actually, what we're going to do is, you may be wondering, well, I don't know who these people are, what stage of life, what kind of groups would they would be? Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to finish up here. And while I finish up, we're actually going to scroll pictures of life group leaders and the different groups that are available so you can actually see their pictures. When you came in, you were given a directory. If you want to pull that out right now, you can actually look at that while these pictures go through. By the way, group leaders, if you right now want to go ahead and stand and go to your tables, we'll dismiss people here in just a minute. But here's, I just want to point out a couple of things to those of you who are on the fence and you're thinking about this. For every one of these groups, you can go to their table here in a minute and they have a handout that you can get more information of when they meet, where they meet, what they're studying. Just ask. The group leaders themselves are at the table so you can ask them questions and see what it's all about. If you're looking to lead a group, it's not too late. There's actually going to be back here, there's an information table that you can go. If you've got any questions about what's going on today, just go to that information table and you can have your questions answered. Listen, you can just walk around and get more information or I would encourage you to take the bold step of actually signing up. Now, some of you are new today and you're thinking, why did I visit today? Of all days I could have come. And I just want to say I'm so glad you're here and here's why. Because should you decide to come here, you will want to know that we have such a high value of belonging. We want to create a place where you can connect, and this will be here for you. And we would invite you to even walk around today. You don't have to join, but if you just want to walk around and get information. So what we're going to do is we're going to dismiss here a couple of minutes early to give you time to kind of walk around the tables. On your way in, you were given that handout that just sort of gives you a list of the groups and so let me give you the real quick layout. And you can, you can be turning around and looking all you want. You're not being rude. Just kind of look around the room. If you notice on the left-hand side of that sheet, there are numbers. Each of these groups are numbered 1 through 20. Here's how it looks in the room. Reagan and Rachel, if y'all will wave. Yep, they are number 1. Like they are number 1. And it goes all the way through number 7. Lori, if you'll wave, that's number 7. So that's 1 through 7. And then 8 and 9 are back here with Raul, Patrick, Clarice, all back here. And then here's 10, Jerry Bethune. Jerry, would you wave? There's 10 through 20. It goes that way, all right? So you kind of got a lay of how it works out here in the room. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking about the cost. 
you're thinking, yeah, but what about childcare? Yeah, but what about the time? Yeah, but what if there's somebody weird in my group? Or yeah, I had a bad experience one time. I don't know if I want to have another bad experience. I get it. Those are real costs that you've got to think about. I just want you to know that we want to help with childcare, so we're going to help subsidize the cost of childcare. When it comes to time, it is a real cost. When it comes to weird, it is a real risk. I always say there's always one in every group, and if your group doesn't have one, guess what? You're probably it, right? I've been it a lot of times in the group. But if, you're, if you've been in a bad experience, and many of us have, I always say it's like going to a doctor. If you've ever been to a bad doctor, you don't give up on medicine. You switch doctors until you find a good one because it's so important and worth it in the end. I want to encourage you to take the step. Why? Because the cost of independence is greater than the cost of interdependence. And I think this is so worth it for us to take a step toward all alone, toward belonging. So here's what we're going to do. I want to invite all of you to stand. I'm going to pray and we will be dismissed. The service will be over. But instead of being tempted to run to brunch, if you would take five minutes and just walk around the table, find the place that makes the most sense for you, ask questions. Hey, maybe you just want to thank a leader for taking the step to create a group. And I would really encourage you to take the bold step of writing your name on a piece of paper and letting them welcome you to the group that will begin here in two or three weeks. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love us and create us in a way where we can actually serve each other. We were never intended to be lonely. We were intended to do life with one another. God, help us to have the courage and the wisdom to take a step toward that today. God, thank you for all these group leaders that are creating places in their homes for us to find belonging. God, bless this time. I pray you give people wisdom as they research and look around and check out what's available to them. And as we go from this place today, may we take a step toward belonging. As a church, I pray. All these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.